Let us begin our Good Friday sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we look upon your death and the confession the soldiers made, we pray that you bless the words of our sermon so that we can look with reverent awe upon the atonement you made for our sins so that we need never fear death, but rejoice in your righteousness credited to us so that we may always glorify you. Amen. Our text for our sermon is from the combined passion history of Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, Mark 15, verse 39, and Luke 23, verse 47. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus with him saw the earthquake and how he cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last, they were terrified and began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous, truly This was the Son of God. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Two weeks to two months prior, it all began when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Hint, hint. And his popularity was growing in Jerusalem. And the Sanhedrin says, what are we doing? What are we doing? This guy's only getting bigger. And they were afraid they would lose their positions. Ah, but the high priest stood up and he had murderous intentions, but the Holy Spirit inspired him to say those words, which basically end up saying the same thing as John 3.16. It's better for the nation that one man die than all the people bring themselves to ruination. Their plan succeeded when Judas was willing to betray him. And as Pilate tried to get Jesus off the hook, if you will, because he knew Jesus had not done anything wrong, he had him flogged, hoping to appease the crowd. Recall a cohort was 600 soldiers, so all the soldiers that could be spared came and made fun of Jesus. They mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they put that crown of thorns on his head. And they put that faded soldier's cloak that would look kind of royal purple on him. And they put that cane in his hand that would be a makeshift staff. And they spit on him. And they smacked him. They mocked him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ever stop to realize that some of those soldiers that hit him, who smacked him, and all of them that were there that were saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Some of those are the very soldiers who are at the cross and say the confession on Good Friday. Truly, this was the Son of God. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, our text begins, when the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus with him saw the earthquake and how he cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last, they were terrified and began to glorify God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Matthew just says when they saw these things. These things were quite miraculous. Let's just look at Jesus himself. You see, the reason why afterwards they would come and break the legs of the other two guys is after you'd hung on that cross for a while, you started having problems breathing. And even though there were nails driven through your heels, like a bellows, you would start bending your knees and pumping your body to get that diaphragm to move, to get air to move through your lungs so that you could stay alive. You didn't scream out with a loud voice, but Jesus did. And that's the thing that makes it clear. Even though it looks like he was being murdered, he chose the minute of his death because he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And let us not forget the three hours of darkness 
God the Father forced creation to mourn as the one who spoke, let there be light and there was light, takes on human flesh and there dies upon the cross. We are told that people who had been dead burst out of their tombs and maybe the soldiers didn't see that yet. We are told that the temple curtain, recall that the holiest of holies had a curtain. It was as thick as your hand is long. It was at least six inches thick was torn in two. Jesus' death made it clear there's no longer anything separating us from God the Father. They might not have known that either. But the earth quaked. There were many things that had happened, and so we're told they were terrified. And the interesting thing is, the word that was used for they were terrified, there are many Greek words for being afraid, but the Greek word that is used is phobeo. Now, I don't want to bore you to tears here, but phobeo is the Greek word that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that the apostles would use. It's the Greek word that was used to translate the Hebrew word, yare. Now, getting into the Old Testament, yare means to fear. But often it talks about the fear we have when we look at God's holiness and look at our unholiness. As I've said before, then we have that fear like Isaiah the prophet had when God gave him his call when he was brought up to heaven. And he says, woe to me, for I am ruined because I'm a sinful man. That angel comes and touches the lips of Isaiah and tells him you've been made clean because the altar of the Lord is the cross that Jesus is on. It's through Christ that we're made clean. And so that Hebrew word Yahweh, for those who look at the God's holiness and can see their own unholiness, it represents that fear, that trembling. I'm going to hell. Oh, no. But for believers... Even in the Old Testament, those who trusted in the Lamb of God, the one who was represented every day by the thousands of sacrifices, for believers who look and see that God in His holiness can have nothing to do, is diametrically opposed to our sin, which is unholiness, and yet God, instead of squashing us with the flames of hell, took our sin upon himself and gave us his holiness, then that Hebrew word Yahweh means to stand in reverent awe. Now again, the Greek word that's used for that Hebrew word is the Greek word used here. Why am I giving you that lecture on words? They were afraid. But they used the word phobeo, which is often a word for faith, for a faithful fear of God that we Christians have, and they began to glorify God. It seems that these soldiers have a very infantile faith. But brothers and sisters in Christ, I would tell you by the wording used and the things they say, it's an infantile faith, but they suddenly come to believe there's something going on with this Jesus. And so that confession that they give, truly this was a son of God, begins by confessing fear. Now that's important for you and I to understand because we live in a world where people no longer want to fear God. Oh, nobody in history's ever truly wanted to fear God. We have a sinful nature. And nobody ever in history, short of having a psychological problem, truly likes to hear that they're sinners, that they're the scum of the earth in God's eyes, that we're nothing but a stench of open sewer to God. But especially today, 
Especially today, if you tell somebody that a particular pet sin of theirs is, in fact, unholiness, oh, that, then the politically correct police are going to come knocking on your door. You, they'll come up with names against you and call you things that aren't even true, adding to their sin because it makes them liars. And they may even burn your house and your church down as a thank you for exposing to them that they are unholy and need a savior. But we cannot be saved until we look at the holy God and tremble in fear. I'm unholy. I deserve hell. But then again, we hear the good news that that is why God took on our human flesh. That is why God is the true Lamb of God. It is that Jesus has taken our sins away. And then we have that kind of fear I talked about that happens for believers in the Old Testament. We look at the fact that God should have crushed us and instead he crushed his son. And his son has credited you with his holiness so that now we stand in reverent awe. You went to that cross and you endured that and I no longer need to fear hell because you've made me your brother and sister in Christ. Truly, this was the Son of God is confessing fear, brothers and sisters in Christ, but not just fear at the things going on. It appears to be confessing that reverent awe. God is working something for me. Then they turn around and they say those words. This man really was righteous. I'm going to say twice they use the passive verb because he's dead now. His body is lifeless on the cross. This man really was righteous. They're confessing righteousness. You may recall that other than the soldiers in this journey we've taken, we've only looked at the confession of one Gentile, and that was Pilate's wife. And what was her confession? Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered tremendously in a dream because of him. She confessed that he was righteous. And we covered in that sermon what that means. And you may recall I used the example of Al Capone. Not to pick on anybody in particular, but Al Capone did not end up in Alcatraz, one of our hardest prisons at the time. He didn't end up in Alcatraz because he was a gangster, because it seemed that he was behind a lot of deaths and a lot of illegal shenanigans, trying to bust him for those things because he worked through other mobsters and everything was like trying to nail Jello to the wall. And so they busted him for, of all things, income tax evasion. But the people didn't care. They knew that Al Capone wasn't righteous. He was getting what he deserved and it got him into prison. But Jesus is righteous. What are the charges he's crucified for? For being the king of the Jews? He is the king of the Jews. He is the king of all creation. We can't say he had it coming because he's righteous. But we can say, I have that coming. And so we're thankful as they confess that righteousness. They're confessing something big here, whether they even fully comprehend it or not. Because you and I, we're not righteous. That word means living up to a standard of holiness, of justice. 
And Jesus himself is the standard because he's true God. If we're going to get into heaven, we can't sit there and say, well, I'm better than my neighbor. We can't sit there and say, how dare God expect this? Because Jesus is the standard of righteousness. And if we don't live up to it, we're going straight to hell. And that is exactly where we're going. But the sinless son of God, the standard of righteousness took the punishment for you and I and went to his cross for you and I and he's credited you and I with his righteousness as he took your and my unrighteousness upon himself and endured it and died on the cross for us. Truly this was the Son of God is confessing true fear for God. Fear of our own unholiness and then standing at reverent awe that we've been credited with the second thing, confessing that Christ is righteous and we've been credited with his righteousness. Notice how they said this man really was righteous. Oh, they probably heard Pilate's wife say, have nothing to do with that righteous man. And as they mock him there, they probably didn't care. But suddenly, in fear of their own mocking of him that has to be going on, this man really was righteous. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the fact that he is righteous and the fact that he is the standard of righteousness is already confessing the big confession that they say next. Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, stop and think about how Jesus would look to Gentiles. There is a myth that these men were Germans, and I suspect that was people who wanted to have their part and in, in, in something to brag about in, in their own race. Some people have said these soldiers were from Gaul. Brothers and sisters in Christ, pick your gods, your false gods that would have been worshipped at that time. They were terrible. Oh, yes, Zeus, as the Greeks worshipped, Jupiter, as the Romans worshipped, who was the same god. That guy was a pervert. He disguised himself and he tricked women into lying with him. And his wife would get mad when, he, when she found out, that was Diana, that those women had become pregnant. And there were all kinds of supposed demigods running around because he could not control himself. He was less chaste than even sinful human beings. There's a big controversy that comes in here. Because when Jesus calls himself the Son of God, it has that definite article. We translate that the. So literally in the inspired Greek, it's the Son of the God. But when the, when the soldiers say this, they just say, truly this was Son of God. The word the is not there. So some people try to make a big deal out of this. But brothers and sisters in Christ, it seems these men have an infantile faith. I bring this up because some people don't see this as a confession of faith. I see it as, at worst, an infantile, a very small, a new-to-the-faith confession that he's a son of God. But truly, in the way the Greek language works, they don't need the article there that I was talking about because it's a proper title, the son of God. Either way, they're confessing that Jesus truly is a son of God, which makes him true God. Now, they had been living in Jerusalem, so they certainly know who the God is to the Jews. So whether they're saying this is the son of the God or whether they're saying this is a son of God, maybe thinking maybe this God could have other children later or something, their infantile faith doesn't matter because they truly are getting that Jesus is deity. He is divine. 
And that's important for you and I. He has to be a man to be our substitute. He has to be a man to die. But he has to be God that he can stand up to the punishment for all the sins of the world and endure it. He has to be God that his death will cover for all of our sins. And he has to be God that he can rise from the grave. He has to be God that his death is so precious that it will atone for every sin in the world. So if there's a sin that's unforgiven, it's because the person has rejected it, doesn't want it. Confessing the deity here, and they begin that by saying, truly. Not just that he claimed to be, because they probably had heard the Sanhedrin, that the original charges they brought to Pilate is, this guy's been blaspheming, he's claiming to be God, and Pilate said, I don't care about that. But these soldiers now get it. Truly, this was the Son of God. And that's important for you and I, because Good Friday, well, let's admit it, we celebrate the funeral of our Lord. It makes us somber. But brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I know what the soldiers didn't know, what the disciples somehow had forgotten, what the Sanhedrin, as we read in our Passion History, tried to cover up. We know what's going to happen with that tomb on Sunday morning. And it's a comfort for you and I that he's true God and true man because every funeral of every believer that will ever happen and ever has happened until Christ returns, we can be confident that that brother or sister in Christ will rise again because Jesus is true God and true man and we know he's only in that tomb from Friday night to Sunday morning. Yes, These men earlier on that day had mocked Jesus, hail King of the Jews. But now they confess truly this was the Son of God, confessing fear. And you and I, we begin looking at our sins and we have fear because God is holy, but it's turned into a reverent awe as we look at Good Friday and Easter morning because now we see God used all of His power to take our sins upon Himself and give us eternal life. So we go from fearing over our sins to standing in reverent awe. They were confessing righteousness and now you and I confess not only that Jesus is righteous, but that He's our righteousness. They confessed his deity, and you and I know he is the God-man, which is why he was able and did save us. Amen. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.